Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with your joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. One of the things that never ceases to amaze me is the way that different cultures deal with death. Now, there's a cheery topic for Mother's Day, isn't it? Um, But I'm sure that you've noticed it, haven't you? I mean, you see some cultures and there's just incredible amounts of emotion expressed at funerals, wailing and crying and screaming and tears. In fact, I found this picture on the internet of these two ladies They're actually professional mourners that you can get to come to your funeral and they will do this for you at your funeral. If you need someone who's going to scream and let out some tears, this is their advertising photo for for them coming along to your funerals. I think generally in Anglo cultures, funerals are a little bit more sombre and quiet. People often wear black as a mark of respect, but they're normally quiet events. Uh, In New Orleans, white is the colour that you wear to a funeral. They have jazz bands who play sombre music on the way to the burial of the person, but on the way back they play upbeat jazz music. Now, in Australia, I get the feeling that we really don't want to think too much about death, let alone talk about it. Uh, We don't like too much emotion. Uh, The number of times I've had people who say to me, oh, I'm sorry, because they've been crying at the funeral of a relative, as though crying was somehow inappropriate at a funeral. Now, I mention all of this because in the psalm that we're looking at today, David wants to broach the topic of death, and he seems quite happy to talk about it. In fact, he talks about it with great confidence. Now, the psalm starts, if you've got your Bible there, you'll see it in the very first verse, and a lot of the psalms seem to start this way. The writer sort of expresses an idea and then wants to mull that idea over. And the idea that he's got is right there in verse number one, where he says, Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. He seems to be reminding himself and possibly even reminding God that he's thrown his lot in with God. God is his refuge, his protection and his confidence. And it's King David who is saying this. 
Now, it may be kind of stating the obvious, but the God that he's calling on is Yahweh. You'll see it there in verses 2, 5, 7 and 9. See that word Lord and see how it's in small capitals? That's the convention that we have in our English Bibles for writing the name Yahweh. That's the personal name of God that was given to the people of Israel. In fact, if you have a look at verse 2, you can see it pretty clearly. It says Lord twice in that verse, once in capitals and once without. So what he's saying there in that verse is, Yahweh, you are my Lord. So he's got this personal name, personal relationship with God. I mean, that's what Israel quite literally had. They knew God on a first name basis. And that was the whole purpose of God giving them that name by which they could talk to him, by which they could speak to him. David is speaking to the God that he knows personally. And that's the incredible thing that we see in all of these Psalms, is that the the writers are actually talking not about some abstract God out there, not about some idea of God. They're speaking personally and directly to God. Now, that's the opening thought that that comes up as this idea, God, I've thrown my lot in with you. You are my protection. You are my refuge. It doesn't seem to have sprung out of hardship or trouble. In fact, I think quite the opposite seems to be true. I think David's mulling over how great it is to have thrown your lot in with God even when things are going well. And it's great that he's doing this when things are going well, that he's acknowledging that God's the source of all of the good things that he has. Seems to me that for most of us that it's actually when our life is going well that we don't feel that we have any pressing need for God and we can tend to ignore God during those times. When things go badly, well, then we want to turn to God, but when things are going well with work or family or finances, when all of that's in good shape, We can feel that we don't need God, that we've kind of got it all under control without God. We often feel that we only have a need for God when things are going badly. But David doesn't want to fall into that trap. He wants to remember when things are great that God's the one that he needs to thank for all of this. Many of the Psalms that we read in the book of Psalms, they're they're written in that reflective moment for the writer. They're kind of written in the quiet when they're trying to mull through, think through these ideas. And we've got to be careful not to speculate too much, but the thing that I imagine with this Psalm is that David's probably sitting on his balcony. It's probably a, a nice sunny afternoon and he's looking out over the kingdom over which he is the king. And things are good. David's content. He knows just how blessed he is to be the king of this kingdom. Things are going well under his reign. People are faithful to God. Things just couldn't be better. And have a look at the things that he mentions. Verse number two, he says that he feels that every good thing that he has has come to him from God. Verse three, the citizens in the kingdom, they're indeed blessed and David's pleased to be their king. Verse 4, the very thought of running after other gods seems like a crazy idea to David. And let's face it, he knows how dangerous that's been for Israel in the past. And verse 5, he says that whatever he has, God has given it to him. And I love the way he describes it there in verses 5 and 6. He says, Lord, you have assigned my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. 
Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's a pretty amazing thought, isn't it? That here he is, the king of Israel, and he's saying, I could not be happier with what I've got for dinner tonight and the drink that goes with it and the inheritance that I have. Well, it just couldn't get any better than this. Now, it's not as if David never had any problems in his life. He had plenty of problems throughout his life, including plenty of people who wanted to kill him at various points in his life. But David can still express this contentment in what he has. More than that, thankfulness to God for everything that he has. Now, there's got to be a lesson in there for us, hasn't there? I mean, we live in one of the wealthiest and one of the most politically stable countries in the world, but we're, in, we're regularly encouraged to be dissatisfied with what we've got. We're regularly encouraged to think that you deserve more than you have. Now, we hear that from our politicians, but the place where we most hear it, the place that it comes through most loud and clear, is television advertising. You might have thought that television advertising is about presenting you with information, but that's not what advertisers think. Advertisers think that television advertising is about creating needs. It's about helping you realise that there's something out there that you don't have at the moment that you now need. Now, you may feel that your life is good, that you don't really need anything, but turn on your television and they'll show you that there are those things. You're watching television at night and on comes the ad for the hose link retractable hose that's also portable. Now, up to that point in your life, you probably haven't given terribly much thought to the hose that's in your backyard. In fact, I'm guessing you probably never thought about it at all. Probably didn't even think too much about it when you bought it. But now you realise just how inferior and inadequate that that hose really is. And you realise now that your life is not going to be complete until you get yourself the hose link fully retractable hose. Now, I picked a dumb example, but you know what I mean, don't you? Because you've watched those ads on television. I mean, the one that you got's great, whatever it is, hose, car, kitchen, doesn't matter, but you're encouraged to think that you need a better one. But that's not the attitude that we see in this psalm, is it? I mean, now, like I said, here we are living in one of the most wealthy, stable countries in the world, yet we're regularly encouraged to be dissatisfied with what we've got. David was content with what he had, content with his portion, content with his cup, content with his inheritance. And you get the feeling that he would have been content no matter what he had, because his contentment actually doesn't come from the things that he has, his contentment and his security come from his relationship with God. I mean, that's what he's saying there in verse 2, isn't it? Have a look, Psalm 16, verse 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I think what David's saying there is pretty similar to what the Apostle Paul says when he writes to the Philippians. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in what want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. 
There's a confidence and a contentment there in knowing that God has got it under control and knowing that the circumstances that you are in are the ones that God has placed you in. That's what David expresses, content with his portion, content with his cup, content with his inheritance. And that's what Paul expresses here, the secret of being content in any and every situation. And the attitude that David has is one that we really ought to make sure is working in our lives as well. Gratitude for what we do have rather than whinging about what we don't have. The recognition that what we do have has come to us from God's hand and thankfulness for what it is that we do have. Do you think you can echo those words from David? That you're content with your portion and your cup? Or do you think you can echo those words from Paul about knowing that secret of contentment in any and every situation? But it's not just about contentment. It's about knowing how to live and how to respond to God. So it's important that you actually see what he says there in verses 7 and 8. The thing that follows on from this message of contentment, he says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. God has not only given him the life that he lives, he's shown him how to live that life. And David says that he makes his decisions based on God's counsel. He sets God right in front of him and literally follows in the steps that God wants him to take. See, that's the right response to God's grace to us. That he's completely confident about living life at God's right hand. And David says he will not be shaken. But the confidence and the contentment that he has aren't just for this life. You get to those closing verses and this is where he wants to talk about death. Uh, when I came out of theological college, I got appointed to a church, as many of you know, up on the north coast, up in Byron Bay, and we were there for around about 10 years. And in the time that I was there, I probably did 100 funerals for people outside of the church, people who weren't directly connected with the church that we were a part of. And what amazed me was that no one ever wanted to talk about death. Well, not no one. There was one person. We'd been up on the North Coast for about eight years by this stage and I'd gone to see a lady whose father died and I got to the house and she made me a cup of coffee and we sat down in the kitchen and as soon as she sat down, she said, before we start, can I ask you a question? I said, yeah, sure. And she said, where is my dad right now? Now, she didn't mean where is his body. She didn't mean in the morgue or is he at the funeral directors. No, she wanted to know where he was right now. And I was shocked. I was stunned and I realised when I got in the car to go home, no one had ever asked me that question before. I'd probably done 80 funerals for people and no one had ever wanted to ask. No one wanted to know. Well, David's very happy to talk about death. Have a look at what he says. Verse 9, towards the end of this psalm, starting at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. David has this certainty and confidence in this life and certainty and confidence about when this life ends. That he will share eternity with God. I said uh, last week when we looked at Psalm 3 and 4 that there are some Psalms that just seem to point so clearly to Jesus and it really couldn't get a whole lot clearer than this Psalm, could it? I mean, both Peter and Paul in the book of Acts want to quote this Psalm and in particular those verses that we've just read. Peter stands up before the huge crowd on the day of Pentecost and he quotes the Psalm and this is what he says. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. And seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of that fact. Peter says that David's body did actually see decay, despite what he said in Psalm 16. In fact, Peter says his tomb's here. You, You can go and check out his decayed body if you want. And while David may have wrote those words or written those words, he was pointing to the one who would not see decay. He was pointing to Jesus the one who would die and be raised to life. Uh, A little further on in Acts, uh, Paul says the same thing, standing up before a crowd and explaining to them about those verses. It says, For when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And the confidence that David has about life after this life is the confidence that we can have, Peter and Paul say. David was certain that when this life came to an end, that he would ultimately share in eternity with God. I'm guessing he didn't know exactly how that was going to happen, but he knew that it would happen. And we're the ones that know how it happens, that Jesus died for our forgiveness, that his body did not see decay because God raised him from the dead. And because of this forgiveness, because of the life that he lived, we can be certain of sharing eternity with God. Contentment in this life because of the relationship that we have with God. Thankfulness for all that we have. Knowledge of how it is to live as God's people. And certainty about the life to come. That's what David talks about in Psalm 16. So let me close with David's words. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand.